This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. All right. Well, welcome to the Collector Car Podcast. This is my second edition of Original Owner Stories, and this is a really cool one, as I think all of them will be. So I'd like to welcome Vern Cook. Vern, how are you doing today? I'm great, Greg. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I uh, We met at the Dayton Concord Elegance, and I ran across yes. your cool car, and I just thought it was beautiful. It's from my era of growing up, so I remember these when they were new and running around the parking lot of my high school. Right. And I just thought, uh, it, not only is it neat that you still own the car, but you actually lost the car and got it back. So if you would, start at the very beginning, tell us what is the car that we're talking about, and then kind of the story behind it. Okay. Um, I special ordered it back in 1988. It's a, it's an 89 Firebird formula. It has the 305 tune port fuel injected engine with the five speed manual transmission, which makes it somewhat of a rare car. They made 1126 with that combination. Um, so I, I bought the car. I treasured it for five years. Um, while I owned it, I got married and bought a house and, and had a another car off to the side and we bought a boat <laughs> and just had too many things and my wife at the time convinced me to sell it okay uh, i gotta interrupt you here you just gave me a whole yeah. bunch of stuff here so first <laughs> off the sentence my wife at the time convinced me to sell it i mean you know some guys can make a t-shirt based on that um <laughs> but let's go back i'm sorry i gotta find out no, you ordered ahead. this. How old were you when you ordered this car? I was 25 when I ordered, maybe 24, and I turned 25 uh, right before I picked it up. So you're a single guy, and you want to yeah. buy a cool car. Now, what made you gravitate towards this particular model? Were you a you know Trans Am guy in the past? Did you like the early late 60s cars? What drove you? Yeah, to not it? not necessarily. I uh, I had a friend of mine that had an 85 Trans Am. And I rode in it a couple times with him and, and just kind of liked the car. And when I decided to go buy something new and, and kind of reward myself for working hard, I actually test drove a Mustang GT and I test drove the formula. And it was kind of between those two cars. But as soon as I drove the formula, there was no contest. Why? I, Why was there no contest? Because I'm a, I like Fox bodies. <clears throat> the first V8 Mustang I ever drove was an 86 Fox body in the yeah. basement parking garage of my dorm room in Florida State University. And, uh, you know, Fox Bites are a little odd looking. Like, I love it, but they're not necessarily yeah. what I would call a sports car. But what was the defining difference? I think just the way it fit. Um, you know, I'm 6'2", you know, 250 pounds kind of thing. I probably wasn't that heavy back then. But um, <laughs> <laughs> that's another thing that happens when you get married. But um, I drove the Mustang, and the Mustang seemed to kind of sit higher. It almost felt like you were sitting in a chair in the car and it was really smooth. When I drove the formula, you're kind of, you're sunk a little bit lower. I think it sits lower, the seats are lower and it just felt more sporty to me. It felt like the car fit me. Um, it's kind of hard to describe, but it just, when I sat in it, it just felt natural. The gear shift was in the right place. The, the steering wheel was in the right position and it just felt right. So. Okay. No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. And 
if you're not joining us on YouTube, I'll throw some pictures up here, uh, but it's a red, very beautiful red. And is the interior gray or is it black? It is gray. Okay. All right. Yeah. Now I do want to clarify here. You said your wife at the time suggested you sell the car. <laughs> Every husband should listen to their wives. I, I, I don't want to get mixed signals here, but I just thought that was funny the way those words came out of your mouth there. So, so take us from that point. So from that point, uh, you know, actually, the, the day that I, like I said, I had the car, she convinced me to sell it. Uh, the day that I sold it, uh, the guy came to pick it up. He had known about the car and kind of hounded me for a couple of months to sell it to him. And I finally, you know, my wife was trying to get me to sell it. He wanted to buy it. So I thought, let's let it go. And when it drove away, drove down the driveway, I stood there and cried. Oh, my god! I, I knew I was making a mistake. Wow. But at that point, it was, you know, I'd already taken the money. I signed the title. I was committed. So, <clears throat> you know, I regretted it immediately. Um, two years later, I was divorced. Mm. And I'm thinking, now, now, not to get into your personal details here, but did the selling <laughs> of the car have anything to do with your divorce? No. I, okay. I don't, I don't okay. Think Other factors. Do. Okay. All right. Yeah, I feel it, better it about wasn't like I, It wasn't like I resented her for it or nothing. Yeah. It wasn't. Okay. Okay. It wasn't that big of a deal. I'm glad it wasn't about the car. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so my, my first thought was I called the guy that I sold the car to. Um, you know, so after I got divorced and I thought, man, I, I really missed that car. I called him, but he had just sold it. Oh, no. And, and this was back in, so we were in 91, you know. Eh, no, it's 994 is when I sold the car. Okay. So that's back before computers. You know, we we didn't have a personal computer back then, so the only way to find a car was to go pick up the trading post. And you know, if you wow, just happen yeah. to get lucky enough to see one for sale, but that was the only way you could search back then. So it was gone. You know, I mean, he had he had no record of who bought it from him, and and the car was oh, just gone. Wow. Okay. But I had kept the a copy of the title. I kept a copy of the window sticker. And I even kept the spare keys from the car. Ah, okay. So I so I had all of my paperwork from when I purchased it, when I ordered it. I had a big folder full of all that stuff. So I would occasionally, probably every four or five years, I would run a Carfax report. And it always showed that it was registered an hour from here. It was it was registered in a town an hour away, but I couldn't find it. <clears throat> I talked to you know the police department, I talked to the the BMV. They won't tell you who owns the car. Even if now, I had the VIN number, they won't give you that information. Now, let me ask you this. So I feel like we're now, you know, this is cold case files or something, you know, we're on this detective hunt, <laughs> you know, so. Um, all right. So what did it cost to run the Carfax report? Is this like where you're spending, I don't know, 25 bucks every once a year to run this? Yeah, probably when I would run it would be if I bought another car. And then I would sign up for the 30-day unlimited Carfax ah, you know, for gotcha. whatever $30 or $40, whatever it was. Yep. And then I would think, oh, I'm, I kind of wonder where that car is at. So I would, you know, pull up the Carfax and, and run it. And it, it just always showed it was an hour away. Now, at one point, it showed it had a salvage title. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that was kind of a shock. But then I thought, you know, there's still hope because you know, a car like that, you know, let's say it's 10 years old, uh, the insurance company probably valued it at $3,000. Sure. A simple little front bumper crunch would have totaled it. 
Yeah. So I guess I was optimistic that whatever caused that was probably not bad enough to be a problem because it was registered after that. They continue to register it every year. So it had to be drivable. Or yeah. So hanging my hat on. <clears throat> yeah. So you got your detective hat on here and you oh, yeah. <laughs> no one's of any help. You know, you know what towns it in. So did you just go to the town and start looking in garage? Crutches? <laughs> well, not quite. Um, I actually found another car just like it. I, I found an exact version of the car with the same manual transmission, same engine, red and gray, but no T-tops. Mm. And, and I bought it. And it was in good shape, but it needed a few things. So I cleaned it up and I would take it to car shows. And when people would ask me about the car, I would tell them the story of the original one. And I probably ran into 30 people over a four-year period that said, oh, I have family that live in that town, or I'm from there. You right. know, it's a small town. They're like, I'll find it for you. But nobody ever found it. Mm. It all just kind of turned up as dead leads. Yeah. So when, when COVID hit, <clears throat> I kind of decided, you know what, it's time. I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it one last chance. I'm going to do everything I can possibly do. And if I don't find it, I'm going to forget about it. I'm just going to, I'm going to wipe it out and let it Good go. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's kind of what I did. Um, I started out on Facebook and I was in several groups, you know, car groups and Firebird groups on Facebook. So I put the information out there. I had a picture of me standing by the car when I bought it at the dealer. And, you know, I told the story of, of the guy's name that I sold it to. And the first thing, somebody popped back and said, well, here's that guy's cell phone number. Oh my like I coach football with him. I know the guy. Here's his number. So I called him and he remembered the car. He remembered me. But he said all he could remember was that he sold it to a lady. And he told me the town that she lived in. For some reason, he remembered that. Um, so I went to Google. And I kind of Googled the, the little <laughs> town. And you know, it was kind of a small town, maybe 50 houses. So I went to the aerial view. This is, this is, you know, CSI kind of stuff. Yes, it is. Totally. But I went to the aerial view and I'm scanning up and down every street looking for a red car with T-tops. Now, realizing that those aerial views could be two years old. Sure. Yeah. Um, but I found a car that looked like a red T-top car sitting in a cluster of cars um, next to a garage. So I, you know, clicked on the building and it gave me the address. And I drove there. Right. It turns out it was a guy's house and he had a little body shop in his garage. So I you know, knocked on the door. The guy came out. So real quick. Someone, so yeah. the car was or was not outside at this point? It was not. It yeah, was there, not. Was, okay. there was no red car there with T-tops at that point. Okay. Um, but I, so I told the guy the story and what I was looking for. And he, and he asked for a picture. I showed him a picture and he's like, I know that car. So now my heart, I, I just yeah. immediately, I'm, I'm racing. And he says he, he knew the car. He's like, I know the owner. He said it, it was parked in a driveway right across the street. And he's pointing at this yellow house and said it was parked right there. He said the lady that owned it went to prison what? for four years. And he said he gave me her name, her parents' names, where they lived. I mean, he, I, I took a notebook out and I'm taking notes like a secretary. And uh, he said that when, they were, when she was in prison, somebody vandalized the car. Mm. which explains now the, the salvage title. Uh, but he said he didn't know anything about it after that. When she got out, the car disappeared, and that was all he knew. Um, 
he remembered something about her moving into a house that backed up to a golf course on a, on a road, a, a country road out in that town. And so I, <laughs> yeah. So now you're looking so at aerial view again, right? I went to the aerial view. It looks like there were maybe six <laughs> houses that fit that description. So I grabbed my wife on a Saturday we drove out there and knocked on doors and found nothing. Nobody knew anything about oh it. Nobody goodness. knew her name. So I went back to the drawing board and I had a friend of mine that works at a car dealer. I had him run a, an updated Carfax. And that Carfax showed it had been registered in a different town, but just a few miles away. And it hadn't been registered since 2015. And this was in 2020. So now I'm really starting to worry. It's like, yes. right, it hasn't been registered again. So now something's happened. <laughs> um, so the first thing I checked was every salvage yard within 20 miles because they keep record of the VIN number right. of any card that they crush, but nobody had it. Wow. So back to the, back to the Google. And I looked at this town. Now there's only probably 20 houses in this little town. So I, I drove there and drove up and down the streets looking for a, now a wrecked car. Right, and right. I found five guys standing in a city hall parking lot of this tiny little town. <laughs> so, so They might know where some things are. <laughs> they, they might. Yeah, so I, I pulled in. I told them the story and showed them a picture. And when they were done laughing at me, they, they said, well, there's a mechanic a couple of miles away. They said, if anybody around here would know about it, it would be him. Right. So I went to this mechanic and told him the story and he didn't know anything, but he took down my name and number. And as I was leaving, I was actually in my truck, started the truck and was ready to drive away. He tapped on my window and he said a kid was uh, in his shop changing tires. And the kid overheard me asking about the car. And he said he remembered seeing what might have been a red firebird in a barn all tore apart. And I said, do you know where the barn was? And he gave me directions. So two miles away, I'm driving down these country roads looking for this barn that he described next to the house that he described and found the house, <clears throat> knocked on the door and nobody was home. So I walked over to the barn and it had two sliding barn doors and they were about a foot apart. There's about a foot gap. Yep. And I thought, all right, I, this probably isn't the right thing to do, but I, I've chased it this far. I have to know. I stuck my head inside the door and there was my car. Oh my goodness. And was I was covered in like, was... like bird poop and you know, Oh, it was disassembled. Yeah, it, was and... it, it was nasty. There was a tarp covering half of it. The, uh, the left front fender was laying on top of the hood on top of the tarp, but I could see the spoiler on the back. I could see the wheels. I could tell that it was a formula and I just knew it was, it was the car. That's it. So I left a note on the guy's door uh, with my, all of my contact information and told him the story that I was looking for, you know, this car, here's the VIN number. I'd be interested in buying it if you have it. So I tried to kind of play it off that I didn't know it was in the barn, but I knew it was there. So, <laughs> um, so I, I left that and I, I jotted down the address. So back to Google again. And if you Google an address, it'll tell you like every name that's ever lived there. And then you can Google the name and find 30 phone numbers. Right. So I sat on the phone that night calling every number associated to that address. And finally, somebody called me back. And when I explained what I was looking for, he said, oh, that's my dad. He has a red Firebird. Wow. 
And he's like, here's his number. So I called the dad, left a voicemail, got up the next morning and still hadn't heard anything. So I sent him a text and he answered the text and said, I have the car and I checked the VIN. It's your car. And he said, I I don't want to sell it, but he said, if you want to come up, we can talk about it. So I'm like, that's my open door. So I hopped in my truck an hour later, I was there. He had uncovered it so we could see the, the VIN number and kind of looked at it. And I, I was going crazy. I mean, I couldn't believe I found my car. Now, so, the problem with him knowing you have the VIN number and you're the original owner is he has all the leverage, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. My wife kept telling me, you know, you've got to calm down. You can't let him know how excited you are to find this. And I'm like, there's no way to control it. I, it, it well, I can't play poker right now. Yeah, I'm the same as you. I cannot hide my enthusiasm for stuff. So I don't play poker. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, if he's a good dude, and I guess we'll find out here shortly, you know, in my mind, you know, he would almost give you the car because he just knows it's going to be a great home. It's going to go back to his former glory, blah, blah, blah. Right. So tell us, you know, what happened during that conversation and a little bit of time after that? Well, just, just kind of talking about the car and, and realizing that it is it. And I, you know, he kind of said again, he doesn't really want to sell it. He's probably just going to fix it up and drive it. And I just made him an offer. I said, would a thousand dollars buy it? And he just kind of looked at me and said, yeah, I'll sell it to you. Oh my goodness. So that was like, easy. I understand the story <laughs> and you need to have the car. So evidently that was enough money for him to let it go. Now in your mind, uh, what was it worth at that time in that condition, in that era? Was it worth 250 bucks and you just like blew them out, blew them away with your offer? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I don't think anybody else in their right mind would have saved that car. Yeah. It, it was that far gone. Now, once I, once I kind of peeled it all back, the back half of the car was actually in pretty good shape, um, but the interior was destroyed. The, the entire front end was destroyed. I don't know that anybody was saved. It. They may have used it for parts. Sure. You know, somebody might've pulled the engine and transmission out and saved another car, but I don't think there's anybody else in the world that would have, would have put that car back on the road. Okay. So you got the car. Now walk us through actually getting the car physically out of that barn. <laughs> I, well, as soon as he said he would take a thousand dollars for it, I said, I'll be back in two hours. So I drove home, went to the bank, got some cash, hooked up a, a trailer. I've got a flatbed trailer. Uh, I called my wife on the way and said, you know, obviously she knew from the night before that I had found it. Um, and a, a friend of mine that had the black Trans Am that I drove, who lives a mile from me, so I called all those people and said, you know, I'm going to get it. So they all eagerly, you know, jumped in the truck with me and we loaded up the trailer and took off, went back to the guy's house and he had a tractor there. So he had already drug it out of the barn and kind of had it sitting there, you know, almost in the doorway. Um, so we sort of peeled all the pieces back that were loose and pushed it up on the trailer and uh, started loading parts into it. And at that point, I realized the interior was trashed. So, you know, there were things like the radiator and fenders and all the loose little parts and pieces that we wanted to take. And I asked the guy if he had the key to the back hatch. And he said, yeah, this probably hanging on the keychain with the ignition key. And I reached in my pocket and pulled out the spare key and said, do you think these will still fit? And I put it in the hatch and turned the key. And the look (laughs) on that guy's face was just, just unbelievable. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. 
So, yeah, because these yeah, cars, did did they even have a vinyl option or faux leather option on these, or were they all cloth? On the formulas, it was all cloth. In okay. the GTA, you could get a leather option, uh, but the formula was all cloth interior. Now, I don't want to go down the weeds of, you know, restoration projects right now, but I do want to know, what was it like to restore a car? Because this is what, a 1988, a car from 1988? Um, 89. Yeah, 89. 89 mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's a totally different project you're taking on versus saying a, you know, 60s Mustang or Camaro, right. you know? So right. what was it like? I mean, did were parts available? Like, how do you get the fabric for the seats for that car? Yeah, I, I found out real quick. Um, the, the things I needed most were the entire front bumper, uh, you know, and there's a crash bar behind that. So that whole front bumper assembly, and I needed a hood. And the formula had kind of that special, you know, half domed hood on it. And those are not reproduced. Nowhere. Right. Um, so I couldn't buy the front end. I couldn't buy the hood. Uh, I could buy aftermarket fenders, but that was about it. So I knew right away the only way for me to save this was to find a donor car. Yep. That was kind of my first step. I, I went out and started searching for one. And stumbled across a, a red formula that had kind of the the little sister engine to it. It had the, uh, I guess it had the tune port, the same, I'm sorry, the same engine, but it was an automatic transmission. Okay. Yeah. Um, but everybody wants, if they've got an automatic, they want the 5.7. So nobody wants the 305 with the, with an automatic transmission. That's kind of a dog. So I bought that car. And I paid 3,200 bucks for it. And it <laughs> for it the was donor a, car. Running, a running driving car so that anybody in their right mind would have saved or, that one. Right. <laughs> right. It would have been easier. Um, but I wanted the VIN. I wanted my car. So yeah, it even had, it even had T-tops. It was red, gray interior T-top car, just like mine, except it was an automatic transmission instead of the manual. So uh, just, Rule of thumb, if you're restoring a car, you multiply it by four. Well, you multiply just the parts piece by three right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we click. I quickly decided not to have a budget. I, I knew this was yeah. just going to be a, it's going to happen and whatever it is is what it is. No, because it's, it's, you're not selling it, you know, you're not flipping right. it. It's, it's a lifetime car. So you got to do it right the right. first time. Yeah. Uh, but most of the other parts, you know, what, what I didn't have to take off of that car, like the seat upholstery, carpet, headliners, all of that kind of stuff is available um, oh, okay. as an exact reproduction. Um, there's a company that I, I bought all of that stuff from. I actually did some of that on that other car that I had that was a hard top. I had already done carpet and a headliner. So I was kind of familiar with even where to go for parts for that um, and how to do it. But you know, to back up, I had never restored a car before. Wow. I've, I've worked on cars all my life. You know, I've changed a starter and alternator, you know, stuff like that. I've never taken one apart. Like, like I took this car apart. Um, but I just, I knew that's what had to happen. I mean, I, as I started peeling back everything that was nasty, when I was done, I was left with a shell. I mean, there was right. nothing left. Yeah. Um, so that's basically what I, I found a, a body shop in town that was willing to work on it. And he wanted me to cut off the entire front end off the donor car right in front of the control arms. 
He said, I want you to cut the frame. I want everything. I want the whole radiator core support, the whole, the wow. whole deal. Okay. As long as so, the VIN's not on there, you're good. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so I, I, you know, carefully took all the front end parts off and, and the hood and all of that stuff was in great shape and then had to peel all the electric and everything back out of the way and cut that entire front end off, took it to the body shop, dropped it off and let them do their magic. And the body shop had a guy in there that was just absolutely phenomenal because the front, the driver's side front frame rail was crushed about six inches just completely just straight in. It wasn't bent or anything like that, but it was just a straight crush. So he cut that off and then took that whole new front end I took to him and welded it in and just phenomenal. I mean, it was just absolutely perfect. Well, you're really kind of blowing my mind here because we met 2022 in July or whenever the Dayton Concord was. That's not that long from when you found this car. You said no. you found it during COVID? I, I found it on uh, September 11th of 2019, if I'm getting my years right, or is that 2020? No, it's 2020. So wow. yeah, September 11th, I went and picked it up the next day is when I actually, you know, went and got it. So September 12th of 2020, here's, here's some magic numbers for you that'll blow your mind if you're, if you're already kind of reeling a little bit. The day that I went to the Pontiac dealer and ordered the car in 1988 was September 12th, 1988. <laughs> wow. I brought the car home exactly 32 years to the day from when I special ordered it. Oh, my goodness. Now, when I picked it up from the dealership, when I bought it, the car came in, dealer called me and said, hey, your car's in. Come down and pick it up. That was January 31st of 1989. When I dug into all of my records, the day that I sold it to the guy that I sold it to was January 31st, 1994. Oh, wow. wow. Five years to the day. That's incredible. When I picked it up. Wow. That's crazy. And I'm just blown away that you were able to do all of this work within two year time frame. Because when I saw the car, I mean, it looked like a brand new car. And I've, I'll show some pictures here if you're on YouTube. Um, of how beautiful this car is. So thank you. I, I mean, especially considering you've never done one before. And then you, to me, you, you multiply the difficulty by doing a car from the eighties, you know, right. um, versus, you know, a 67 Camaro or seven, you know, 79 yeah. Trans Am even. Yeah. So, so those classic cars, you can buy every part, you know, somewhere, but yeah, I'm a Mustang <laughs> guy and I know you can buy every single part to a 65 Mustang now, except for the hypo parts, but you know, every yeah. basic Mustang, every single part, including the entire body shell you can buy. So right. kudos to you. Now that Thank that's, you, you know, how well, does, let me, how, let me give ahead. you some more timetable on that. Sure. Um, I took the car to the body shop in October and dropped it all off. And they said they would probably have it back to me by Christmas was kind of their thought. And I kept checking on it. You know, every week I'd stop by and take some pictures and see the progress. And it kept getting delayed. And I told him, I'm not concerned about the date. I want it to be perfect, not fast. So, you know, if you needed an extra week, take your time. He finally called me in late January. And after, you know, kind of getting updates weekly, but he called me up and said, uh, why don't you come pick it up on Friday? January 31st. Uh, actually, January 22nd, which was my birthday. 
Oh, okay. Well, there we go. <laughs> so I got to go pick the car up on my birthday. I mean, how how poetic is that? I mean, what a what a birthday wow. present. That's so I, I brought the car home on so on January twenty second, and I had been working on you know cleaning up some of the parts that I had taken off, and doing the upholstery. I had reupholstered the seats because I had those out of the car, um, and gathering up some things like that. So I was ready to put the car back together the day that I brought it home from the shop. I had everything staged out in my garage. I'm ready to assemble. And when I started into it, I kind of started with the brakes. I thought, well, let me let me get the brakes working right. And the first thing I noticed was I couldn't get any fluid in the cylinders. So I went up to the master cylinder and popped the lid. It was full of gravel. Oh, my goodness. Somebody, I don't know if that was part of the vandalism back in 2001. Sure. Or if this is something that happened to the car after it was wrecked and sitting in a barn. But when it was sitting in the barn, you know, the hood was latched down. Right. I don't know that anybody could have gotten in there. Wow. So I really think that was remnants of, of the vandalism. Yeah, that would make sense. So, so at that point, I kind of stopped and said, I'm going to do everything. Um, so I, I went ahead and pulled the engine transmission and every brake line fuel line, I stripped the car down to nothing but the shell of the body um, and took it back to the body shop and had them paint the engine bay and all of the inside stuff that originally I was just going to kind of clean up. Sure. But I decided to go ahead and take it one more step and I took it back to them and had them do all of that. So then I had the engine all apart. The compression was perfect. So I didn't actually go into the bottom half of the engine. Um, I just kind of took all the top stuff off, polished, cleaned, painted everything, and then put it all back together. And I had a a little cruise in at my house planned for Father's Day weekend. And that was my goal all along, was to be able to unveil this car at that little cruise in. Yep. So I brought it home January 22nd, and I unveiled the finished car on June 19th. Oh my goodness. So five months I I did that car top to bottom. Wow. While working full time. Right. Right. Yeah. Now, fortunately, with COVID, I was working at home. I was able to do my job at home. So instead of driving a half hour to my office back and forth every day, I would just quit at 4 30, change clothes, and go out to the garage. And yeah, you know, it's funny that car. That reminds me of a previous podcast guest, Rick Schmidt of uh, NPD, National Parts Depot. And he mentioned at the time because of COVID, you know, his business was booming because everybody was ordering parts because they had time to work on their project in the garage. So that's it sounds like that's kind of the scenario that worked for you as well. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It was was almost perfect timing for it. So what I obviously you're showing the car because I saw it at the Concorde. What are your plans for the car over the next one, five, 10, 50 years. Um, it's going to stay right there in my garage uh, until okay. I die and then my kids will deal with it. Uh, but I plan to just take it to car shows and cruise ins. I drive it to local stuff. It's not a, it's not a complete trailer queen. I mean, I, I still enjoy driving it. So yeah, we take it to shows. I, I took it to the Trans Am Nationals that, that first year that I finished it. Um, this past year, I went to the Pontiac Nationals and then obviously the concourse where I met you. Um, and I've probably had 15 or 20 other shows that I've gone to in, in between all of those. <clears throat> yeah, that's great. So now it's just enjoy it and share it with others, right? Yeah, 
Yep, it's been fun. One of the other neat little things to it, I had kept the license plate off of the car hanging in my garage for 30 years. And when I finished the car, I took it down to the BMV and asked if I could put that plate back on the car. And they ran the numbers and said, it's not being used. So yeah, you can re-register it. I had registered historical. um, So that was kind of the first step. But I have the original 1989 plates on the car that were on it 32 years ago. Oh, that's really cool. Now, yeah. if you can just put on your uh, the clothes you had on and uh, a couple of those pictures there, and <laughs> let's recreate the picture. That would just bring yeah. it all home, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, that'd be a blast. We we actually took a picture. I talked about the guy with the black Trans Am that kind of sparked you know the, the whole formula thing. When I first bought the car, we took a picture in his dad's front yard with the two cars, and then we were standing beside him in our Bill Cosby sweaters from 1989. And uh, he still has that car. He was smart enough to never sell it. And his dad still lives in the same house. Wow. So, now, what, what shape is his car in? Um, it's, uh, it's unrestored. So, wow. you know, the interior shows some wear to it. But, you know, the paint is probably 90%. It's got some little rock chips and things like that. But he's, he's kind of on the fence with it that it's only original one time. And at what point do you flip the, the corner and start to restore it? You know, so right. he's yeah, at this point, he's kind of left it all original. Um, but we can't convince his dad yet to let us park in the yard again and, and retake that picture is what we really want to do. Well, tell him that you need it for a uh, documentary that will be uh, all over the world on YouTube. And we'll throw that picture in right next to this, the earlier one. That well, would be awesome. Go. That would be yeah. mon- monumental to do that. Yeah, that would, would be a neat picture. So, well, if you can't get it in his yard, then you know, do it somewhere close by, or do it when he's not there. <laughs> I, I thought about that. I, I'd be willing to fix his yard if we do any damage. But uh, right, right, yeah. Okay, so there's a kid that heard you're looking for this red car, but right. now it's my understanding there's quite a story to this kid that informed you of the location of your car. So tell me a little bit about that. I think it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, when I when I finished the restoration on the car, I obviously had a lot of parts left over from the donor car and from what I didn't use out of mine. So I, I tried to sell some of those parts on the, you know, the Facebook groups and so on. And was having some luck selling a few parts. But the guy that I bought the car from, that it was in his barn, called me and said a friend of his was restoring a 87 Trans Am and was looking for some parts. And he asked if, if I minded if he gave him my phone number. So the guy called, we talked, he came to my house with his wife uh, to pick up a couple of parts and see what I had. And when we were talking about the car and the story, he said, you're not gonna believe this, but the kid that was working for the mechanic that told you where the car was is our son. Wow. And, and he said that his son had just started dating the daughter of the guy that had the car in the barn. And he was at her house on Labor Day weekend, which was a week before I found the car in the barn. Um, he had also just started working at that garage that week. So if I had done all this research and found that car a week, or if I'd gone to that town a week before, the kid would not have seen the car. He wouldn't have been working in the garage. Wow. And never would have found it. In addition to that, his dad was restoring an 87 Trans Am. 
And when the kid went home from work that day and he was telling his dad about, you know, some guy looking for this red firebird and his dad said, well, why'd you do that? I was going to go buy that car to restore my Trans Am. So not only if I had been there a week before, it wouldn't have, I wouldn't have found the kid, but if I had gone a week later, the car would have been gone. So out of my 26 year search for this car, there was a, a two week window for me to be in that place and find that kid to actually find the car. Kind wow. Of a, that's like a small miracle. Yeah. Divine intervention there. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. So two week window within 26 years to find this car and you found it. Yeah. That's it's the right cool. place at the right time. Now, I ironically, over the years, my wife and I, we go to this thing called the 127 yard sale. It's kind of a national thing that runs from Michigan to New Orleans where they, the Route 127, people set up yard sales all up and down the road. And we have done that for years, uh, probably six or seven years. We've gone to this yard sale and actually part of that road goes through this little town where the car was. So for years, we've been going to this yard sale and driving <laughs> right by it. <laughs> two miles from where my car was sitting, you know, erect in this guy's barn and just never knew that it was there. So you are supposed to find it then that's what's right. going on there. So you found yeah. it at the right time. Well, thank you so much for sharing your original owner story on the collector car podcast. This has been fantastic and such a great story. You're welcome. Thank you very much for letting me be a part of it. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast.